This morning we share in two passages of Scripture, an Old Testament reading from 1 Samuel, which is the call of David, and a New Testament reading, a Gospel reading from Gospel of John, chapter 9. Uh, kind of a lot of Scripture reading, so if you're the kind of person who likes to read along, now's the time to get your pew Bible and read along, and if you're the, the kind of, that, that listens intently, put your listening ears on. And uh, listen well, and uh, forgive the preacher for not editing the the scripture passages uh, for this week. Uh, But I want to introduce them just briefly as well. The Old Testament passage is the anointing of David. It's the selection of David by Samuel to be the next king to follow Saul. We remember King David as dynamic. We remember him as grand, but his beginnings were not that. As you will see in the passage, David is the forgotten youngest son left out in the field. He was not, it was not intended that he would be evaluated by Samuel to be the successor of Saul. He is an unlikely choice to be king. And I suppose one of the main reasons God does this is to defy the convention and the categories that others might expect. God does this so we can see God's great power. In the Gospel reading, Jesus will say the same thing. He is going to heal a blind man on the Sabbath, of course. The first few verses introduce this pose a question about who sinned so that this man might be healed, and and Jesus is going to say this is about God's glory. It only takes two verses for Jesus to heal the man, and then there is a long commentary that you may or may not get lost in, but it's basically Jesus and the Pharisees going back and forth over the significance of this healing The Pharisees were upset that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus, again, is defying convention and category and reaching in and healing anyone he chooses, which is everyone who will choose to be healed. These are our scripture readings, and listening to the categories that God defies is one of the things we'll be listening for as we turn first to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel Chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. So fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of this, he will kill me. The Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I will name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling, saying, Do you come peacefully? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. 
And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look upon his appearance or on his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And the Lord said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel says to Jesse, Are these all the sons you have here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel set out and went to Ramah. And now we turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, was it this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and he washed and he came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is is that not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and I washed and received my sight. And they said, well, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the Pharisees. Uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day, and when Jesus made mud and when and he opened his eyes, and the Pharisees began to ask how he had received his sight. He said, "He put mud on my eyes, and then I washed, and now I see." Some of the Pharisees said, "This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath." But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. 
So they said again to the man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened? The man said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received sight. And they asked them, Is this your son? You say he was born blind. How does he now see? The parents answered, We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, just ask him. He is of age. So for a second time, they called the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They were reviled. They, were, they then reviled him, saying, You're his disciple, but we are disciples of, of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as far as this man, we do not know where he comes from. The healed man answered, Here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he listens to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us? And then they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found the man, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. So the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped Jesus. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him say this, and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? But Jesus said to them, If you were blind... You would not have sinned, but now that you say, we see your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our lives are full of categories. Categories that help us organize and arrange things and and understand things and make sense of things so that then we can analyze things. And, and make quick work of them. In our house this weekend, I'm going to give credit where it's due, um, Natalie went through all the little categories in Quicken, preparing our taxes for the accountant, so that 
the accountant could do their work. Those categories are helpful, right? Categories can be helpful. Now, categories can be overwhelming and can, can cause despair. I don't remember the categories of Republican and Democrat being nearly as prominent during my childhood as they are these days, but my goodness, we can't turn a corner without talking about that. And so I will stop now. There's fun categories like, are you a mountain person or a beach person? There's silly categories that only seem silly to those of us on the outside, like, are you a Chevy guy or a Ford guy or a Dodge guy? There's categories that align with our alma maters and our allegiances, like State, Wake, Duke, Carolina, ECU, or something else. There's Presbyterians, Catholics, Methodists, Episcopals, even Baptists. And then there's the categories of the saved and the unsaved. And we have all of those categories that are notable, though some of them were silly, I admit. They're notable, though, because they help us understand certain things about certain folks. When we understand something about somebody, they're from a certain place, or they went to a certain school, or they love a certain thing, it helps us understand a little bit about them so that we don't have to know everything in order to understand a little bit of something. So when I say something like, I love the feel of the sand between my toes, you can think, oh, he's a beach person. He goes every chance he gets down that way. But what's important in these two passages today is that they are category busters all over the place. These stories defy convention and expectation, and it can't be emphasized enough, frankly, that the God we worship just over and over and over in every page of this book seems to do just that repeatedly. Break the categories. Defy the categories that we have laid out. And this ultimately is is good news for us. Because if what we were left with were the categories that we create for ourselves and for one another, well, we probably all would get left out. If what we were left with were the categories that the Pharisees had, well, we would be definitely separated from God because we couldn't measure up and we would be destined for loss and misery and hopelessness that, that those categories they set up provide. But God defies categories and, and, and reaches in and, and reaches us and calls us in different ways than we would might typically expect. And that's why we read these passages. We read them in their great length and see them as such good news. Now, I think we often forget this David story, this call of David's story. At least, at least I do. We, we remember that David was anointed to be a king when he, was, when he was young. We remember that he became king before Saul was, was dead. We remember he had that thing with Bathsheba. We remember that David was Solomon's father, that he wanted to build a temple, that he wasn't perfect, but David ultimately, in, in, the, in Jewish and Christian contexts, 
is admired as the great king. David was the one they were waiting for to come back. Jesus is from the line of, of David. Jesus is the, or David is the ideal king up until Jesus. But as you heard in this story, it didn't start that way, did it? God told Samuel, look, look, you need to just give up on Saul. And so go to Bethlehem and I'm going to show you Jesse's sons and I'm going to anoint one of those, those sons. And so in what might be described to sports fans as the first draft combine for a king, Jesse, uh, Samuel watch, watches every son of Jesse's pass by and God says it's not him, it's not that one. The favorites were in the room. There was surely the, 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 the one that was most ready, the oldest son. He was the forerunner. The oldest one is always esteemed in Jewish history and in most of history, even up through today. But it's not the oldest son. He wasn't the one. Those other brothers all had unique skill sets. They were all prepared in, in different kind of ways, and, and they were passed over too. And Jesse says this to, to uh, Samuel says to Jesse, you sure you don't have any more sons? Well, there was the one we left out in the field. There was the one we didn't even think was worth bringing up here. He was the youngest. He looked a little different than the others. He was beautiful, had beautiful eyes. Jesse didn't think he fit as king material. So he didn't even bring him. If it were a beauty, beauty pageant for the king, he would have had to buy a ticket to get in. But God. And anytime you hear those words, but God, you should perk up. But God wanted to do something else. God was ready to do something else. And so as soon as David walks in, Samuel sees this is the one. And in David, God breaks category. He calls someone unexpected who is ready to do something different and something new. Samuel drafts David from the fields, takes him in from caring for sheep. Samuel, on behalf of God, calls the least likely one possible. And it's that one who becomes the greatest king. And frankly, although it's quite simple to say, if God's going to do that, if God is interested in doing that, that's good news for you and me. That's good news for us. We skip forward to this gospel story, this really long gospel story, a story that's made for us as well, even if we're not literally blind, and, and, and I don't think any of us, us are. It's a story for us because God reaches in and calls people beyond category, beyond the ones we would set up for ourselves. Now in John 9, Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And for those who have been reading these Jesus stories over and over and over again, we know, of course, Jesus, he heals on the Sabbath. It makes the Pharisees mad. But he goes on and does it anyway. But this story is set up with this question, who sinned so that this man was blind? Because there was this belief that, that, that a physical abnormality like blindness was caused because someone had done something bad that hadn't been 
accounted for yet. The prevailing point of view, one that that in some ways might continue still today, is that someone sins and it causes something bad to happen and it may not be for you, but it might be for someone close to you. And Jesus rejects this viewpoint saying, this man is blind and the glory of God is going to be revealed through it. Jesus breaks all kinds of norms in dealing with this man because he was thought to be a sinner, he was thought to be unclean. And then he spits in the dirt, which was gross and unclean as well. And he wipes it on his face and he tells him to go and be washed. And he's healed. And he does all this on the Sabbath day, the day you're not supposed to work, and healing would have been work. And so he breaks all of these rules all of these categories, all of these ways in which things were supposed to go, God starts working in a different way. And questions arise because people knew this guy. They knew he was blind. They expected him to be in his spot. His family is befuddled and then threatened when the Pharisees get involved. And the Pharisees are upset about Jesus because Jesus in breaking the rules of their religion, is threatening their authority. He's threatening the control that they have over things. Jesus heals. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Jesus spits in mud. And Jesus becomes this living embodiment of a God who's not going to be bound by those religious rules that, that the Pharisees wanted. And so the people are caught a little bit stressed by this. Because they want to be healed, but they're threatened by those Pharisees. When the Pharisees ask the man's parents, look, what is this all about? They say, look, talk to him. Because the Pharisees had threatened to kick him out of the synagogue if they were caught following Jesus. And they couldn't, they didn't want to get kicked out. They wouldn't have any standing or stature. They wouldn't have status in, in, in their world anymore. They're kicking people out because they follow Jesus and they're, they're, they're saying things like, we know God spoke through Moses a couple thousand years ago, but we don't know where Jesus comes from. Pharisees were closed-minded to the fact that God could work again the way that God worked through Moses, delivering people in a new way. It was not in their best interest either, of course, socially, politically. They, they were not, it was not in their interest to like, worship a God who was un, unbounded and, and care for everybody. But God was not bound by the expectations. And the man who was healed really lays this out kind of beautifully. He says, look, look, you guys, here's the astonishing thing about y'all. You don't know where he comes from, but, but he is the one who opened my eyes. And we know that God wouldn't do this through a sinner category that you have. He listens to those who obey him. And never since the world began has anybody opened the eyes of a person who was blind. So if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done this. 
Jesus heals this man, and this man defies category and expectation. God is at work in a new and a powerful and a different way. And it's, it's significant, and it's why we're here today, right? I think there's a lot of reasons why people come to church. I hope, I hope the best reason is that we believe that God has something for us and that we need what it is that God has for us. We believe that God's doing something in this world and, and with us, and we gather for regular we gather, gather regularly regularly for worship to do that. I know some people come to church because that's what good people do, and you know it's it's a good thing in a small town to come to worship and be seen. But but the real reason for coming to church is to to be in touch with this God, right? We're here because God defies categories and rescues everybody, even us. Because by worldly metrics, we, we, do, we do fine. We, we, we keep it all together. We've got nice clothes and nice suits and we behave well and, and collectively we're, we're great, we're polite, we're courteous, and we're kind. On the outside, we have it enough together. But underneath, Underneath, we all, we all know we're not perfect. We, we know that we're tired and we're kind of broken and we're, we're sad. We're, we're scared. And compared to those beautiful people on the television or the famous ones or the, the rich ones or the popular ones, we, don't, we can't make it add up. We have struggles that we hide Struggles and pains were conditioned to hide. And, and though we're not physically blind, we do know that we are, we, we very much know, we're imperfect. We're imperfect in a world that pushes achievement, success, and perfection. And we struggle with that. And, and all of that is to admit that when we admit that, when we see that, when we say that, well, that's the point at which God can break in. That's the category that God busts. That's where God goes to work. Because in these passages, it's not the ones who have it all together through whom God works. It wasn't the seven older brothers. It was the, the humble, least likely one. It was the ones who were willing to let God work where God worked. The Lord reached in and blessed and used the ones that the world didn't expect. God went beyond the categories of proper and pristine and perfect and reached outside category and called a different kind of person to be a vessel for His grace. And for all of us, that's good news. That's really good news because if God does that here, then God will do that here too. Occasionally in life, the underdog wins. Steph Curry is not as big and strong as LeBron James, but he won the MVP one time. Russell Wilson was not the first round draft pick, but he won a Super Bowl. And Goodwill Hunting was a movie made by a couple 20-somethings, and it, it beat all the, the famous actors that year. But in sports and in culture, 
the, the underdog story is fun because, let's be honest, we're all tired of the Yankees, the, the Patriots, the Blue Devils, and the Crimson Tide winning all the time, right? But in faith, it's not an underdog story. It's, it's God's story. It's God who's willing to use anyone who's willing to be used. It's God who's calling us in from the fields when we're forgotten. It's God who's ready to heal us of our blindness no matter what it is, if we're willing to let him. And it's God who's ready to break category and avoid those Pharisees who would hold everything in and together to control things. It's it's God who will use all of us if we're willing to bring about great, mighty, holy, life-affirming work with and through us. And so this morning, we close with a choice. We can think that we don't need God and we don't need to acknowledge our, our blindness or our imperfection, but when we do that, we close ourselves off to God working. Therefore, I hope we see that God is ready to work in all of us, with all of us, through all of us. Ready to work through all us, just like he did these characters here that were quite unlikely. Ready to bust categories. And so may we too not conform to the categories, but conform to whatever categories that God calls us to conform to. May we open ourselves up and allow God to work in us. Allow God to break categories and reach into our lives and hearts. Allow God to call us in a different kind of way than we ever expected. Because that's where God will work. And that's what God needs for us to do. Shall we pray? Loving God, we thank you that you can break in no matter who we are and where we are, how we are. And we pray that in in, in allowing you to break into our hearts and lives, you will work in meaningful, powerful, significant ways. Lord, help us to see the ways that, though we may not see that you're able to work, that you are able and ready and willing And help us to receive your love into our hearts and lives, to be healed, and to share that love with others. It is in your name we pray today.